0: Is God knowable? Is God knowable? Can we know God? And if God is knowable, how do we know Him? Many have sought over the centuries, over the millennia, to ponder and think about that question of whether or not God is knowable. And at what level can we know God? Is God a personal God? Is God one who is in a personal relationship with His creation? Or as some, many like our founding fathers, thinking that God is not knowable. That God is a distant deity that is not really concerned about the day-to-day affairs of man and by nature is not knowable. How is it that we know God? How can someone know Him? Whether it be through conversation or through creation or or maybe even through His Word. What we're going to consider today in our time together is whether or not God is knowable. Where, if you will, can you find information about God? Uh, Can you Google Him and find Him there on the web? Can you find Him in some sort of mystical, uh, meditative state? Where is God and is God knowable? The truth of the passage we are going to consider this morning is that God is knowable. That God can be known and that God can have a relationship, a personal relationship with man. And my hope this morning is to demonstrate to you through this psalm, Psalm 19, how God's revelation, how the revelation of God drives our meditation on God, which then fuels our supplication to God. My hope is to see that God's revelation of himself drives us to think about God. To consider and ponder him in our minds and lives, and ultimately to pray then to that God. So I invite you this morning to open God's word to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. If you do not have a Bible, there are Pew Bibles in front of you, and the page number is 456. If you're not familiar with the Bible, you can just kind of open up to the middle. And you'll be real close there to Psalm. It's right in the middle of our Bibles. Psalm 19. A Psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. God makes Himself known to man. David writes this song, Communicating to us that God makes Himself known. And through knowledge of Him, we learn how to worship God. What we're going to consider today is how God's Word and general revelation, creation, informs our worship of God. So this morning, if you've come, sort of dry and weary and and like just sort of chaff, just like leaves dried in the in the in the sun, you just breaking away, you, you feel empty this morning, maybe you just feel like you know your tank is, is, is on E. My prayer is that you will see that God's creation and God's word fuels our hearts and fuels our worship. I pray your soul is filled this morning. So David shows us really in this psalm two ways, if you will, uh, to know God. So this psalm, if you just sort of were paying attention, hopefully the way I read it, helped you to see the division. So if, you're just, if you have your Bibles open, look with me very quickly. Verses 1 through 6, and then there, it divides, a very sharp division at verse 7, 7 through 11. He shifts, if you will. Thinking generally about God and then specifically about God. Generally about God and His creation. And then moves into thinking more specifically about God and His Word. And then in those final few verses, verses 12-14, through really uh, gives us the response. How how do we respond to the knowledge of God? So this morning, if you don't know God, my prayer is is that you will respond in the way David responds when he meditates upon God in his revelation. God, if you will, David moves, if you will, uh, from revelation to meditation, and then ultimately to supplication, to, to prayer and worship of God. So if you just want to think for this morning how this sermon's going to move, it's going to, it's going to move in that way. It's going to move from thinking about revelation, how God's revealed Himself, how showed, how's God shown Himself off, and then it moves to our meditation, our, our thinking about that revelation, and then finally it, it propels us into supplication, into, into prayer and worship. So let's consider first what David teaches us here, is that we can know God generally through His Word. Excuse me, through his creation. Uh, We can know God generally through his creation. David begins this psalm by saying, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Uh, He he says that the the heavens, his mind is is thrown upward, if you will. He's, He's looking into the sky. He's looking into the stars. He's he he sees Jupiter at a distance. He sees the moon and and, and he's thrown in, in into the sky at night and, and he's considering the sky and he says the sky is proclaiming, declaring God's glory. It's literally speaking. Notice here first, the source of this knowledge. As he describes the knowledge of God, he says that, that this knowledge of God is his glory. It's His glory. And, and some wonder like, what is God's glory exactly? Well what, what is God's glory? So we use the word a lot. We talk about God's glory. We talk about ascribing God's glory. Uh, God's glory is, in essence, his total being. It's who He is. Uh, it's a reflection of, so it's kind of like uh, his character. He's glorious. Uh, we were, it's the sum of all of his attributes. So God's glory is the sum of all of his attributes. So his attributes, who he is. So God is holy, God is loving, God is just, God is kind. Just go through this boom, boom, boom. It's the sum total of all of who God is, is his glory. And the heavens are declaring this glory. It is kind of like spitting out this glory. It's, it's telling a story about His glory. Now David uses a word here. He says it declares uh, the glory of God in the sky above. Literally, he's talking about the expanse. He's that same word Moses uses in Genesis 1. Talk about how God created the expanse, how, how God spoke into existence the heavens, and, and how the, the galaxies uh, came together by the word of the Lord. And, and that expanse is what's in the, in the eyes of David as he's writing this. He sees God's glory in what God has created. Notice what he says. It's in his. The, 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 the second line in verse 1 is just a restatement of the first line. He says that the the sky above proclaims His handiwork. So God reveals Himself generally through His creation. Now this is what theologians and scholars talk about God's general revelation. Uh, Grudem defines this revelation as the knowledge of God's existence, character, and moral law that comes through creation, to all humanity. So this is, if you will, a billboard in the sky by which every person ever created, ever walking on the face of this earth, can see. They can know God is real, that God exists, That God is a creator, that God is a good God, that God is a God of order, not a God of chaos. All of these these type of things are revealed through creation. So, God's glory, if you will, is seen by all people and known to all people. We'll consider in a moment, though, how we suppress that knowledge uh, through sin. Notice also what he says in verse 2. He says that day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Day to day, it pours out speech. He, again, he, day, day, day by day, the sun comes up and the sun goes down. We're considered for a moment the, the regularity of that? The day comes. I'm sure none of us go to sleep at night thinking, I wonder, will the sun come up tomorrow? We know that there's no doubt in our minds, even though we might perhaps be convinced by what scientists tell us that this world is is dying. It's not true. Perhaps at some level there is decay only caused by sin. But what David points to is the, if you will, faithfulness of the sun and the night to show up on time as scheduled every single day. Amen. And that points to the fact that God's glory is not going anywhere. From day to day and night to night, God's glory is being revealed. We can be assured of that. We, we sing that exact same thing in great is our faithfulness. Sun, moon, and stars in the sky. Ready? Those things point to God's faithfulness. They reveal who God is, the kind of character God is. So imagine for a moment if if we were always left to chance whether or not the day was actually the sun was actually gonna rise. Like, what's that sun gonna to do today? Is it gonna come out today? Is it gonna is it gonna come into the sky today? No, 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 no. We know faithfully, every single day that sun rises and it declares God's glory. We can be assured of that. And that is what David. Is saying. Calvin here is helpful. He says, Scripture indeed makes known to us the time and manner of the creation, but the heavens themselves, although God should say nothing on the subject, proclaim loudly and distinctly enough that they have been fashioned by his hands, and this of itself abundantly suffices to bear testimony to men of his glory. As soon as we acknowledge God to be the supreme architect who has erected the beauteous fabric of the universe, our minds must necessarily be ravished with wonder at His infinite goodness, wisdom, and power. What Calvin is saying is the same thing David is saying. When you think about God in creation, you can't help but wonder at His wisdom, at His power, and at His goodness. When we see God in creation, we see something great and when we recognize that that God is actually speaking through creation through the world through throughout there, he's telling us about himself so that every man will know him. He leaves his fingerprint on all things, every molecule every Adam has his hand upon it and it is declaring his glory. However small or however big, it is proclaiming the wonder of its maker. I want you to notice here, secondly, the scope of this knowledge. Notice the scope of this knowledge is universal. That is, it touches every person. There is not one person that is not touched by the knowledge of God in creation. Verse 3, there is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. So in the sense that David's like, no, no, I'm not talking like literally, you know, like literally, you know, the tree doesn't talk. Uh, Literally, you know, the sun isn't up there gabbing to the moon about, you know. but 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 in the same time, he is saying that. What David is saying here is that the creation is talking to itself and declaring amongst itself the wonder and beauty of God. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. David, what what do you mean here? In the sense that God's glory isn't visible, it's visible, it's not audible. Therefore, it touches every tongue. Notice for a second. Think about that for a second. If God's Word was communicated in only one tongue, then only that one tongue would be able to hear it. So for example, if, if God had only revealed Himself in word form in English, then only English people would, would hear and understand. Or you'd have to learn English in order to hear from God. But in creation, God's language is universal. It, it touches everyone's heart. It's like a painting, for example. So when you admire a Rembrandt or, or you admire some beautiful painting, you do realize that most of those paintings are painted by people who do not speak your language. Yet they still communicate to you. They still touch you. They, they, still, they still speak to your heart. You, you can, you, there's a communication happening through that painting which language would not be able to communicate. Because of the barrier. In, in essence, there is no language barrier to God's glory among the nations. Which then leads to a terrible truth. If God's glory is universally spoken to all people, then no one is without excuse. No one, if you will, can stand before God in eternity and say, "God, you never revealed yourself to me You never showed me who you were, you never told me anything about yourself. It's not fair. you can't judge me because you've never made yourself known to me you've never you never told me you were real but David says. In verse 4, that this voice, this glory goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. And then he uses some figurative language here. Uh, he says it's like, a, it's like a bridegroom leaving its chamber. It, it's wondrous and beautiful. It's bright and shining. It, it gives joy and hope. And, or it's like a strong man that runs its course with joy. Like a runner running out there that's what it does. it doesn't stop it runs out through all the earth, but then he notice in what he says in verse six he says it's rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there's nothing hidden from its heat. There's no place on this planet that the sun does not touch there's no place on this planet, no no cave you can hide in no rock you can live under no proverbial island you can live on by which god's glory is not sufficient to reveal to you that he is real and that you are accountable to his glory you were created in his image as paul argues in romans 1:19 for what can be known about god is plain to them plain God's glory is plain. He's not disguising his wonder and glory. It is, it is beaming out of everything. It is shining forth out of all things. Paul goes on to say, because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his divine excuse me, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they, that is humanity, are without excuse. Paul is saying, no, not never has there ever, ever been a time in creation that that no one has has missed God. There's never been a time from the beginning of creation to its end that anyone can point their finger at God and say, God, you did not tell me who you were. An older theologian writing in the 18th century writes, though all the preachers on earth should grow silent, and every mouth cease from publishing the glory of God, The heavens above will never cease to declare and proclaim the glory of God. God's glory is revealed generally through His creation. When my wife and I were only been married about a year or so, we we went on a vacation. What was particularly unique about this vacation for me, still just sort of reminded about it as I prepared this sermon, was in the weeks leading up to that, and and really the days ahead of that, I had been reading J.I. Packer's Knowing God. You have not read that, I just encourage you to read that. It's a little thick, but it is helpful. J.I. Packer in Knowing God, he writes in the beginning half of this book about God's general revelation in creation. And What particularly struck me by that is it sort of was like the, the blindfold was taken off, if you will. The, the, my eyes were lifted up, if you will, from looking down at books and looking at thick stuff. And, like, I looked around and I began to see God's glory in His creation. I began to, like, wow, God is beautiful. And one of the humorous things that happened from that vacation was, like, I have, like, a million pictures I was taking because I was captivated by God's glory in His creation. It was wonderful and, and beautiful. Brothers and sisters, my encouragement for you today. Is to go and know God through his creation. Whether it be through nature, whether it be through the sky or, or 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 considering the uniqueness of your own body and who you are and humanity and how God has ordered life. Just pray that leads you into worshiping God. Brothers and sisters, do not, though we have more general specific revelation, excuse me, of God in his word, neglect the great creation God has around us as a daily reminder of His faithfulness. Consider the seasons. They come and they go. Because God has said so. God is a faithful God. Our knowledge of God, however limited it is through creation, one of the things that I want to really hone in on is that David recognizes though that yes, God reveals Himself through creation, That knowledge is insufficient to save humanity. God does not paint the Gospel in the sky. Though how tempting it is to go up there with a plane and paint Jesus loves you, that is not sufficient to save sinners from hell. God has revealed the good news of Jesus Christ through His Word. And it is through the Word of God that God speaks to humanity. And God has not remained silent, but has spoken in and through his word. So secondly, notice here in verses 7 through 11 that we can know God specifically. We can know more about him specifically through his word. David shifts his focus from thinking about creation to thinking about God's word. Notice with me in verses seven through eleven i 'm just going to run through this briefly we don 't have time to really you know consider everything here there 's much to be uh, considered. Just encourage you maybe over lunch today you can think about the way more about the way David describes god 's word here prod your own heart. Do you consider that? maybe consider why he chooses the words that he does. but what I want you to focus here on in these verses in your Bible, you should see that the the first line. And then the second line is offset by uh, from the first line. It's indented. And that's done intentionally to, to emphasize the, the point that David is making. So if you will, look at verse 7. Notice the law of the Lord is perfect. I'm just going to read through the, these headings. The law of the Lord is perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure. The precepts of the Lord are right. The commandments of the Lord are is pure. The commandment of the Lord is pure. The fear of the Lord is clean. The rules of the Lord are true. Notice then how he does that. What he's doing is he's describing the Word of God and then secondly, in that second stands, in that second line, reviving the soul, making wise the simple, rejoicing the heart and enlightening the eyes, enduring forever and righteous altogether. What David is doing is he's showing us the purpose then of God's Word. So he, he, he's showing us the effect of Of God's Word on the human soul. So let's consider first how David describes the Word of God. He begins by saying the law of the Lord. David here shifts from using God. So if you look at verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. They don't declare the glory of the Lord. In the sense that they don't declare the covenant of God, the the Elohim, the uh, excuse me, the the Yahweh, the Lord, the the, the covenant keeping God. They they don't. It's more specific than that. It's it's more specific than that general revelation. So again, just emphasizing here that the Davis being specific about God's word. The law of the Lord, we considered last week that that phrase, the law of the Lord, is not to be read, you know, sort of restrictively Ten Commandments. (laughs) Um, The law is much bigger than the Ten Commandments. You know, though we like posting the Ten Commandments around, uh, we often do that at the neglect of the rest of the law. The law is much bigger than just Ten Commandments. It's, It's actually very big uh and it contains many many verses and many many chapters and and so when we consider the law of the lord i think more generally what david is speaking about here is god's word that is god's law is revealed in his word so god doesn't just say hey i'm going to you know talk about these things and oh right here i'm going to talk about my law no 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 the whole of god's word is informed by his law or his standards his 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 wisdom and his ways so don't just think here restrictively, you know, David is talking about the Ten Commandments. Though he is, I think more generally, he's, he's speaking about the whole of God's Word. And I know that because David doesn't just stop there by saying the law of the Lord is perfect. He goes on to say that the testimony of the Lord is sure. The precepts of the Lord are right. The commandment of the Lord is pure. The fear of the Lord. So he isn't just narrowly focusing here on just ten little commandments. However good that may be. I want you to notice how he describes God's Word. First, he says God's Word is perfect. It's perfect. There's no air in it. It's, it's perfect. We live in an imperfect world. When is the last time we've ever seen something perfect? Oh no, we strive for that perfection. Oh, we want that perfect world in our lives. But, but we're told here that God's Word is perfect. Perhaps if there's any writers in the room today that like to write things, maybe uh, blog about things or write stories, uh, one of the things that writers often struggle with is finding perfection in their writings. They, they, they literally drive themselves mad trying to, to put together the perfect syntax with the perfect words and and just the perfect argument and and it's hard i mean myself as i I write and think it's like man, I go in and change that i still i don't really like that or i'll read something i wrote like five years ago and i'm like oh that's terrible that's definitely far from perfect uh we strive for perfection but we're told that god's word is perfect it's without error and on a note of that i want to be clear that we are not saying that the Bible you hold in your hand has been perfectly translated. So we remind ourselves that the, the original autographs, the original documents that were penned by Moses and David and the scribes, by Paul and Mark and, and John, those were perfect and without error. The errors came in when man began to translate them into other languages. And so that's why you'll have variants in different languages. And, and again, we, we, we're not saying that those are perfect grammatically. We're not saying that they're perfect in their translation. They they perhaps made mistakes because they've been translated by broken people. But God's word, the words that that that, that we have before us are perfect. Notice also he says the testimony of the Lord is sure. Not only is it perfect, but that perfection leads us to to saying it's a sure, it's a sure foundation. We can kind of stand upon it. We don't have to doubt its perfection or whether or not it can hold us up. Imagine for a moment if we received a a letter and, and we doubted its authenticity. We doubted uh, whether or not it really came from perhaps our spouse or a friend. And if we had doubts in our mind about it, well, what would happen is we would not be sure of perhaps instructions that were contained therein. So if God's Word is not perfect, then it cannot be be sure. So maybe if you come this morning and you kind of doubt God's Word, you're going to say, you know what, yeah... Uh, God's Word isn't perfect. There's a lot of mistakes in there and uh, a lot of errors and so on and so forth. Well, friend, if that is true of you, then you cannot be sure of anything in the Bible. You literally do have to throw that proverbial baby out with the bathwater. You can't pick and choose God's Word, what parts are true and what parts are not true, and then try to make a way in the world they have some sort of sure footing. No, no, no. It's the perfection of the word of God that gives us the sure foundation that we have to say, I can know without a doubt that if I repent of my sins and trust in the sacrifice of Christ, I will be saved. I'm not boasting. I'm not being prideful. I am standing surely on a firm foundation because God has said so. He goes on, the precepts of the Lord are right. Again, God's Word is not leading us astray, but on the right path, not the wrong path. God's Word leads to righteousness, not unrighteousness. The commandment of the Lord is pure. In the sense that it's not... It's not mixed up with dirt. There's not like you know little little little, little dirt mixed up, and it. it's pure. It's 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 clean. It, it it is it is completely purified. There's there's no mixture of air, as we read together in our statement of faith. That's where that statement comes from. No no mixture of air. It it's not mixed up with air. No, it is completely pure. The fear of the Lord is pure. Now strangely here David shifts. He I thought he was talking about the commandments of God. Now he shifts to the fear of the Lord. Well, what David is doing here is he's building upon uh, sort of a a connection in the mind of a a Jew, and that is that knowledge of God is motivated by fear of God. That is, that, that genuine knowledge comes from fear of God. There's a connection between our fear, our reverence of God and His Word that leads to a greater knowledge and obedience in our lives. Then in verse 9, look again. The rules of the Lord or the just decrees of the Lord are true and righteous all together. Again, the emphasis here is on the truthfulness of God in His Word. W.S. Plummer wrote, whether God can heal a wounded spirit Cheer, no sinking soul. Give hope to no desponding mind. Defend against none of the worst ills of life. Point no weary traveler to the way of rest. Give no assurance of happiness beyond the grave. God's Word can do all these things and a thousand times more. God's Word moves our soul. He revives us. He makes us wise He rejoices our hearts. We see the purpose of God is to both warn and to instruct. Verse 10, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned in keeping them. There is great reward. We see that, that David is pointing us to the, the reward of God's word. Uh, brother and sister, I'm t- I just want to encourage you this morning. If you are struggling in your Bible intake time, consider what David says here are the effects of your in your life when you just meditate on God's word. Revives your soul. It makes the the simple, the the, the inexperienced wise. The, the ones who are not sure how to go in the world. Perhaps you're young this morning. Just, I need wisdom. Well, God reveals wisdom in His Word. Perhaps your heart is, is sorrowful this morning. The precepts of the Lord rejoice the heart. God's Word enlightens the eyes. It, it literally opens our eyes to see His beauty and wonder. And we can rest assured in them that they will never fail, that they will endure forever. Brothers and sisters, stay close to His Word and this warning signal will be steady. That is the warning we see here that if we do not heed His Word, there is no warning. There is no reward. Not only does God's Word warn us, it instructs us this repetitive nature of David's word not only teaches us the importance of meditation, but also instructs us on how to meditate on God's word. David takes the word of God like a diamond. You ever, maybe you've seen a diamond or those little prism fun things that you had in school. And you hold it up to a light. And as you turn that diamond, as you turn that prism in the light, the, the light hits it in a different way and you see different things and different Colors. Well, when we meditate on the Word of God and we churn it over in our minds, we, we see things at a different light in a different way. Brothers and sisters, I just want to encourage you again. I don't mean to be repetitive each week, but memorization of God's Word is meant to do that. This is why Christians for the last 2,000 years have devoted themselves to Bible memory. Not because it's some sort of Sunday school assignment, but because they want God's Word hidden in their heart that they may not sin against God. They might meditate upon His wonder and beauty. If you want to know more about that, please see me. Great resources available. uh, Not only to memorize small verses, but whole books of the Bible. You can consider how glorious God is in His Word. I want to encourage you again, whether you have an excellent memory or not, Meditate on God's Word. Read it over and over again. Look, we're not running marathons here in the Christian life. We are long distance runners. We're not running sprints, excuse me. We're running marathons. We we are long distance. Whether you are 13 or 300, however old you are this morning, it doesn't matter. Don't sprint through God's Word. Look, I'm all for reading the Bible in a year. I think that's a noble task. I think you should do that. I think you should commit yourself to that. But here's the thing. Look, you need to slow down sometimes and you need to think about what God is saying in His Word. Meditate on it. Think about it. Look, brother, sister, if you read the same chapter for the next 30 days, I will guarantee you something. You will know that chapter better than anything else in the Bible. Find a worthy chapter and camp out there for a while. Don't run away. Consider what God is saying in His Word to you. Meditate. Meditate. One of the ways that you can do that also is to emphasize the words of, in God's Word. So, so let me just practice that for you right now. The law of the Lord is perfect. The law. The law. What is the law? What, what? It's the Word. Yeah, I was think about Word. Word of the Lord. Oh, this is God's Word. This is the Lord's Word. The Lord. Who is this Lord? Who, who is He? Uh, what has He said about Himself? And, and who is He? And it's perfect. The Word is perfect. Without error, without a mistake. It's, it's perfect. And If it's perfect, then I'm not perfect. I can trust it's perfect. Think, slow down, and think about God's Word. We're going to conclude our time by considering just three responses that David gives for us. Again, I didn't promise you I was going to consider everything. There's much more here than we have time to consider. But let's consider these last three verses. Uh, who can discern his heirs? Uh, David shifts here to thinking about God's knowledge has driven David to a Question. He's gone to God in his word. He's thought about how perfect it is, how wondrous it is, and he has been, been left alone and said, You know, I am in error. Who can discern his errors, he says? Who can figure out his ways? And so the first thing David does is he responds with repentance. Friend, you cannot go to God's word and hear it and heed it and not be driven to repentance. David recognizes here that he does not have the ability to discern his sin. Now, I know that we tend to think of ourselves as our, you know, the world's experts on ourselves. I, I understand that. And if you don't think you think that about yourself, you are just confused this morning. You think that you know yourself best. You say that often. But the reality of it is, is that there are little sins in your heart that you don't even know about. There are things that you and I do that we don't even see. And David recognizes that. Notice what he says. Declare me God. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. That is, hidden sin. Hidden rebellion. David here is crying out, God, I have gone to your word and I know that I am a broken man and I must be declared innocent. I know that there is sin in my life that I don't even know about. God, will you forgive me of that sin? So he cries out to God asking him, but he doesn't but stop there. In verse 13, he goes on, he says, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. So not only do we have sins that, that we don't know about. God slowly exposes over time. But then there are those willful sins. The per- presumptuous sins, or as the, uh, the Holman Christian translates, as those sins that are, are willful. Those sins that, that we willfully commit. And David cries out, God, keep me back from those. God, I want to turn from those. I don't want those in my life. Both those sins known to Him and those sins which were unknown, He sought from God to deliver from dominion of. When you are confronted with your sins, what do you do? Do you run from God? Or do you run to God? So David does something here. He models something for us that that we often don't do. When, When our sin is exposed, we often run from that rather than running to God. David has this this overwhelming confidence that, that he is being exposed by God's word as a sinner, both hidden and exposed here in the sins he knows about. And he is willing to go to God and say, God, forgive me. What gives him such confidence is that he knows that God is sufficient to save him from his sin. And that leads him to secondly respond with trust. He says, then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. He claims a promise here. He says, I will be. He he cries out in repentance and then he says, in confident trust that God will be faithful to remove the sin from his life. What gives him such confidence is that he knows who God is. That God is a God who has provided a way through the death of another so that he can be forgiven. David recognizes that the blood of sacrifice is the means by which he will be saved. David trusts in the promises of God that those who repent of their sins and trust in those promises will be saved. David is trusting in the same gospel that you and I are called to trust in in our lives. David is repenting of his sins and trusting in the promised Savior to come who will free him from this. To receive the benefits of God's Word, we must trust the promises of God in His Word. Third and finally, David responds with prayer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in Your sight, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. In whole, God's revelation drove David's meditation. As he considered God and and meditated on it and thought about it, it drove him. And it drove him to deeper and deeper thinking about God and His Word. Reading the Bible is not a means unto itself, it's not a means of just knowing about God generally, but it's about knowing Him in a relationship through Christ. And ultimately, it, it fuels our prayer life when we will just take a moment and consider God in His Word, brothers and sisters, our prayer life will be transformed. My prayer and question, will you allow God's Word, God's revelation of Himself, both generally and specifically, to drive you in a deeper relationship with Him? Let's pray. Holy Father, we come and thank You for Your Word. We pray that our growth in your word would lead to greater godliness. Father, we confess again that we often neglect Your, you in your revelation. We thank you and praise you that you have not remained silent, but you have spoken. And you have told us the way to life and godliness through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's conclude our time together this morning by...